0: Today's reading is taken from Acts 11, and we're going to start at verse 19, which can be found on the Bibles just under your chairs on page 1,105. Why don't I just pray for us quickly before we read. Father God, thank you so much that you've spoken to us in your word. Please would you open our hearts and our minds to receive it this morning. Amen. Now. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thanks be to God for his word.
1: Do sit down. Very warm welcome to you, particularly if you're here for the first time. And please turn back to Acts chapter 11. It's your final page, 1,105, 1,105, in the Bibles under your seats or in the pew. Thank you, Naomi, for reading that and for praying for us as we come to God's Word. It's often said, if you find the perfect ideal church, don't join it, because you'll only spoil it course, obviously, that means you're safe here, aren't you? (laughs) Because this is not the perfect church because it's full of sinners like me and like you. But we heard in in this reading uh, from Acts chapter 11 about another church in Antioch in the first century. Now, Luke, writing the book of Acts, doesn't tell us that he thinks it was a perfect church But in the way the book is structured, he clearly holds it out as an example to his readers of what a church should look like. If not a perfect church, then a well-functioning church. There are two churches that dominate the book of Acts. This book that we've been looking at, that we began uh, last year and that we've uh, picked up again from uh, the weekend away onwards. And we're looking through A few more, the middle section of this book. Two churches dominate. The first church is the church in Jerusalem. And that that, that dominates in chapters 1 to 10. And that's not surprising. It's in Jerusalem that Jesus has died and risen from the dead. And from where, 40 days later, he then ascended to heaven. And it was in Jerusalem that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Jesus, marking the birthday of the church. The day of Pentecost, chapter 2. And then we, we, we read in those early chapters of what the life of that first church in Jerusalem looked like. But there was one particularly distinctive thing about the church in Jerusalem up to this point. It was essentially a church of Jewish believers in Jesus. Within that, there was diversity. Jews from every known nation under heaven are gathered on that day of Pentecost, And later in chapter 6, we read of some of the particular issues that the church had to face because of that cultural diversity among the Jewish believers in Jesus. But now, from chapter 10 onwards, as we saw first on the weekend away with Jason a couple of weeks ago, and last week in the beginning of chapter 11, a huge change takes place. As Gentiles, that is non-Jews, are admitted to God's people. And the key extraordinary thing is that it is made clear to Peter in the vision he receives from God that these Gentiles do not need to become Jews to become part of God's people. There's no need for circumcision or restricting the food that they ate or or keeping those kind of ceremonial laws that the Jewish people were obliged to keep. Now what they needed to do was they just needed to turn from their sin and they needed to trust in Jesus. And now verses 19 and 20, in chapter 11, we come to Antioch. And this church that is established here in Antioch is the church that will dominate the rest of the book. It is from here that Paul and Barnabas and so on will be, and others will be sent out to plant churches across the known world. And down into verse 26, over the page, you can see Luke gives the followers of Jesus in Antioch the label church. And that is significant, because as we've been seeing up to now, the only known gathering of followers of Jesus with that label, church, has been in Jerusalem. But now the church in Antioch, where we read both Jews, verse 19, and Greeks or Gentiles also, verse 20, have come to faith in Jesus. And so this church is now held up as an example to Luke's readers for us to learn from even today in London. So Antioch was a proud city. On its coins in Antioch, you would read, Antioch, metropolis, sacred and inviolable, uh, autonomous, sovereign and capital of the East. A melting pot of many different cultures and ethnicities. A city much like London. And so we'll follow this church and what happens to it and its members over the chapters for, to come. But for now, from these verses, what can we learn from this church? For our, for our own church here and for our world today. Well, we're going to see three things you can see on the back of the um, notice sheet, if you want to follow as well. This is a church, first of all, where the Lord and his word are the heroes. The Lord and his word are the heroes. Verses 19 to 24. Look at this, you see. What happens in Antioch, in verse 20, is massively significant. For the first time, people go not just to the Jews to tell them about Jesus, but they go to the Greeks also, those who are not Jewish. Remember Peter's shock, if you were with us over the last couple of weeks, at the idea of Gentiles being included on the same terms as Jews, not second-class citizens. Well, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene seem to decide on their own initiative that Gentiles need to hear about Jesus too. Now, in one sense, it's not a ridiculous idea at all, because right back when God first made promises to Abraham, he said, through you, all nations will be blessed. God's plan was always for the nations of the world to be included right from the start. But here are some men boldly taking the initiative in that. But the striking thing is, they remain completely anonymous. Usually in our world, when there is a new movement, a new start, we know who the people are. So maybe today is not the right day to mention rugby, unless you're Gareth or uh, Celebrating Ireland. But outside, this, is, this, this picture here is actually outside rugby, rugby school. okay? And there is a statue there. And there is an inscription that says this. It says, This stone commemorates the exploit of William Webb Ellis, who, with a fine disregard for the rules of football as played in his time, first took the ball in his arms and ran with it, thus, originating the distinctive feature of the rugby game AD 1823. 200 years ago same year this church was founded interestingly don't think that's connected (laughs) but now the rugby world cup is played for the Webb Ellis cup and that'll be happening later this year well we know you see we know all about William Webb Ellis or at least that's what we're told by rugby school at least about the origins of rugby but not so with these men from Cyprus and Cyrene. The only name mentioned in verse 20 is what name? What name gets mentioned in verse 20? Can you see? It's the name of the Lord Jesus. His name. It's his good news that they are preaching. And then verse 21, what made the difference was not their eloquence and their fine speaking ability or their art of persuasion but the fact that the Lord's hand was with them. So Psalm 127 tells us, Unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders' labour in vain. It is his work, it is not ours. And what the Lord does is that the Lord brings people to the Lord. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Do you see? And then when Barnabas comes, verse 23. Well, you might expect to see that he saw what these men had done, and you know he he had some thoughts about that, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say he saw what these men had done, he saw what the grace of God had done. And again, verse 24 a great number of people were brought, and they were brought not to these men and their new initiative, they were brought to the Lord. It's the Lord and his word who are the heroes. Do you see? It's not anyone else. And Barnabas's response backs that up as well. You see, you might think verse 22, when news of what was happening reached the church in Jerusalem, perhaps there would be some jealousy, some suspicion. You know, would they send Barnabas to kind of take control, you know, bring them back into line? But he arrives and he rejoices in what he sees because he sees people turning to the Lord and he knows that is what matters. And he encourages them. That's, that's Barnabas's name, isn't it? He's the, that's what his name means. He's the son of encouragement. He's known for that. He encourages them to keep doing that. There are no big egos in that church. You see, egos kill churches and kill gospel work. And it's no surprise. You see, in in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And he says, I will not yield my glory to another. See, God God doesn't share credit. It is his alone. And when we try and grab some glory for ourselves, that is when things start to go very wrong. There is no room in churches for power games and empire building. The church is not my church any more than it is is your church. It is the church of God. It is the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, protect St. John's Downshire Hill from putting the spotlight on anyone or anything else other than Jesus Christ and his word, the Bible. That is where the power is. They are the heroes when people come to faith or the church grows or develops or whatever it is it's because Jesus is working among his people and as well as that being a a, a huge warning against ego trips as it were this is actually hugely liberating because if it really all depends on us in the end well that's a terrible burden to bear isn't it and maybe, you know, we've got a friend or a loved one and we've been longing to see them come to Christ and, and it hasn't happened. And if it, if it really is all depends on us, well, it's, it's our fault and we feel terrible. But it's the Lord who brings people to the Lord. And so, yes, there are times when we struggle and we wonder, what is God doing and why is he doing it like that? But he's God, we're not. We can trust him. We need to trust him. And so we pray. We must be people of prayer, because not because we're trying to twist God's arm to do what we want, but because we're saying, Lord, this is your work. Please bring people to yourself through. Please use us if you can, but, Lord, bring people to yourself. This is your work. And so we've started gathering before the service on Sunday mornings, just after 10 o'clock, just for 10 minutes, to pray. Because we're saying, as we begin our time together every morning, we know not not everyone's going to be able to join us at 10 o'clock, but if you can be there, we're joining just to pray and to say to God, this is your work we're doing. This is your work we're gathered for. You and your word, Lord, are the heroes. Because everything we do is useless if God is not at work. So the church at Antioch was a church where the Lord and his word are the heroes. May we be that kind of church also. And secondly, we see verses 25 and 26 is a church where the only adequate description of them is Christian. The only adequate description of them is Christian. So, so verse 25, Barnabas goes and fetches Saul, who, remember, It becomes Paul. he is Paul the Apostle. It's his his, um, sort of Hebrew name. And they meet with the church for a year and they teach them. And end of verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And the point behind that is that up to this time, it hadn't been necessary to give the followers of Jesus any particular name. You know, to the watching world, well, the, the followers of Jesus that met were they were jewish and and, and the the watching world would have just seen well that's a that's a sect of judaism you know they've they've got a particular sort of different set of beliefs but they're essentially just still doing this thing that we already know about which is being jewish but the point is in this church in antioch they can't call them that anymore can you see that because there are gentiles here there are greeks here But then, as they looked on the world, what would they have seen? That would have been odd to them too because these Gentile Greeks, well, they're not doing what the rest of the culture does now. They've changed. They're not worshipping the pagan gods that Greeks would just worship as a matter of course. They've separated themselves from that, but they haven't become Jews either. Who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they meeting together? How do we explain this weirdness? And so... The watching world has to invent a new category, a new word, christianos, Christian. You see, it's not their word for themselves. They didn't invent this for themselves, interestingly, the Christians. It's a word that seems to have been applied to them by the world around them. And so then you have to ask, why would the watching world choose that particular name? And the answer has to be that as they went deep into God's word with Barnabas and Saul, their lives and their speech became all about Jesus Christ. So that those they met could not avoid hearing and seeing these are Jesus people. They love Jesus Christ. They live for Jesus Christ. These are Christians. They are Christians. No other label would be adequate. And so the question is, would people look at us as individuals and as a church and conclude the same thing? It would be hard for someone to conclude that if we rarely speak about Jesus, wouldn't it? You know, sometimes we just think, oh, surely it's just enough to just to be a bit different, some of us have probably heard the, the, the story before of a, a man who thought he would just live distinctively and differently among his colleagues at the office and deliberately never say a word about Jesus. And he did this for years. And then at his retirement due, a colleague came up to him and said, I've been watching you for years and I can see there's definitely something different about you. I've been trying to work out what it is. And I think I've finally got it. Have you become a vegetarian? Do you see? Now, I try not to give uh, illustrations involving my own family, but it's Mothering Sunday, so let me honour Sue just for a moment, very briefly. Sue is the RE, Religious Education Coordinator, in the school where she teaches. And she does a lot of stuff on assemblies and uh, helping the whole school have a clear understanding of Christianity and who Jesus is and helping that have an impact on the whole school and recently she sent a child with a message to another teacher and the teacher said well who sent this message and the child couldn't remember Sue's name and so he said oh oh oh, you know the Jesus lady isn't that a great name much better than the normal name we have isn't it so that's who we want to be isn't it? Be Jesus people. Where well, we're called Christians because it's clear that only Jesus Christ could make us who we are. That's true for us as individuals, but we want to be a Jesus community as well. The point about this church in Antioch was that nothing and no one else could bring this diverse group of people together. It's the same for us. This is why we were thinking and want to keep thinking about what it means to be an intercultural church and what that looks like. So that people can't look at us and conclude, oh, oh, really, they're all the same. They're all from the same background. They've all got the same interests. No, people should look at us and go, wow, these, these people are just so different. They're from different, they're young and old, all different ages and stages, got different jobs, different backgrounds come from different places in the world, different cultures. There are single people, there are married people, with and without children. There's all kinds of different people. The only explanation for what could possibly bring them together is Jesus. That's all we want to be, that kind of community. That is the challenge for us. And it's a challenge, but it's also a gift to have an identity that's given to us as a gift. See, our world around us struggles to understand itself, struggles to define itself. is confused about identity in so many ways. Isn't it liberating to be able to say, I know exactly who I am? If you're believing in Jesus, you can say that. It's not something you have to discover, who am I really on the inside? No, God, God can tell you, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are a Jesus person. You are Jesus' people. That is what our lives are about now. Nothing to prove, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be anxious about, no need to justify ourselves before others by what we do. Jesus' people. One of the things, the big catch-up that we've been doing, if you, you'll know this if you're a regular with us, this big catch-up is uh, helping us um, have a conversation a deliberate conversation with somebody about uh, our experience of our own faith and our involvement in church and, and other things in between and one of the things that the big catch-up seems to be throwing up in various ways is, that, is the the wonderful desire for community the sense that as we come out of covid we haven't yet properly recovered some of the sense of community that we maybe have had in the past or even that we you know, might feel, well, we've never had, but we feel we should have in various ways. And in a busy world with lots going on, we need to be thinking about beyond Sunday services, don't we? To what it looks like to be that distinctive community that loves one another and is visibly different. Jesus people. We were talking in the staff team this week about what you might call the ministry of showing up you know so so often i think it's because of our culture is is all about doing stuff and being defined by what we do and and justifying ourselves by what we do and so we measure the usefulness of being present with our very precious time by you know am i am i on a rotor have i got something to do have i got something to contribute And if if that's not us for that time, well, it's fine. I I don't need to be there, really. I'm not not really needed. But no, there is a ministry of of showing up, of being present. Don't underestimate the encouragement to others when when we just show up at church, when we show up at small group, because we're saying to each other, Jesus is important, and you are important. We are saying to each other, and that's why I wouldn't miss this for anything. That will make us different from the world around us. that doesn't approach life and community like that. It's only Jesus that will make us do that. It will only be if we are Jesus people, Christian people. It is that kind of community that people will struggle to explain in any other way than it being about him. If you're amongst us, either today or or you've been here for a while, but you know you're not yet trusting in Jesus. This is the thing to be looking at and thinking about what it means to see what happens when you come to put your faith in Jesus, the community that you're invited to be part of, and to take the opportunities that we long to give you to experience that for yourself. So this church in Antioch is a church where the Lord and his word or the heroes, the only adequate description of them is Christian. And then thirdly, and finally, their deep learning results in deep love in action. Deep learning results in deep love in action. Verses 27 to 30. We, we, we've heard already, uh, verse 26, the disciples learning from Barnabas and Saul for a whole year. That is what a disciple is, isn't it? Do you know that? That word disciple, it means a learner. And you can imagine if they had a whole year with Barnabas and Saul, they'd have gone pretty deep into God's word. There would have been some amazing Bible studies and sermons. And In our world today, we can sometimes be a bit suspicious of learning. You know, what are we told? Our our world has had enough of experts, we're told. And, and, And even within the church, it can sometimes seem like too much learning... Is the enemy of kind of actually being practical and getting things done and being a kind of doing kind of people. But for this church, can you see deep learning went hand in hand with practical love in action? So some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. A prophet in this sense is someone who's particularly gifted at reading the times and seeing what looks likely around the corner, not kind of infallible, but Worth listening to and taking seriously. And one of them can see a famine is coming. And it did indeed come, Luke, the historian, points out, during the the reign of Claudius. And how does this church then respond? Well, their first thought is not the one that many of us might have, which would probably be well, how are we going to get ourselves out of this? How are we going to make sure that we're okay? And our loved ones. Their first thought is, how can they provide for the church back in Jerusalem? They are equal partners now as churches. Can you see that? Jerusalem and Antioch. And their deep learning in God's word has meant that they're overflowing in deep, generous, sacrificial love for those in need. Jason was challenging us about this on the weekend away a couple of weeks ago. If you've not yet caught up with the talks, if you weren't there, they're on the website. Do have a listen. A genuine Christian church will have a particular concern for the vulnerable and the poor and the needy. Now we reflect that, we try to reflect that in our choice of mission partners with our support for London City Mission. and. Reaching the unreached on the margins in London, St. Clement's Manchester working in a poor and deprived area of that city, open doors working with the persecuted church worldwide. But the next step for us as a church is what does that look like even here on our doorstep? We connect pretty well with people of different nations particularly. How well do we connect with maybe those who aren't graduates or working in professional jobs and that kind of thing that is the challenge i'm going to keep putting this out there until somebody bites but if you yourself want to help st john's reach those who are not like us as it were i want to hear from you and i'm going to keep saying that catch me after the service send me an email we've got some ideas but it needs to be us as a church doing this together not just the staff team kind of going off and doing stuff we want to equip ourselves together as the body it might be that you've got ideas and you never thought anyone would be interested in them. well make yourself known the logic in the bible is that the more we know of Jesus and the more we learn of Jesus as disciples, the more we will want to share him with others. The more we will want to love others as he has loved us. Let's be that kind of church. We will never be perfect. We will never be the ideal church. But as Luke holds out to us the picture of this first Jew-Gentile church, the first to be called Christians in this chapter and then as we see more of it in the weeks to come let's listen carefully and prayerfully commit ourselves to being the kind of church that looks more and more like this where the Lord and his word are the heroes the only adequate description is Christian the deep learning results in deep love in action let's pray now Father God, we come before you and we want to be more and more known as Jesus' people. Where our focus is on you, not ourselves. You, your Son, your Word. That in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made more like Jesus, day by day. And then as a church, we become a community where it is clear that Jesus is at the centre of what we're doing. Where the love that you've shown to us overflows into love for the world around us. As we share Jesus in word and in deed. Lord, show us what it means to be that kind of church.